Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now that last sentence we just heard may seem to be the end of the Gospel of John. Actually, there is one more chapter, and we'll hear that next week, but today we get this wonderfully concise statement of purpose. This Gospel was written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. It sounds straightforward. And yet, this statement follows a remarkable story about the struggle Jesus' own disciples had believing that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And I'm not just talking about Thomas, but all of the disciples who, on the day of Jesus' resurrection, after they had heard that the tomb was empty, after some of them had had encounters with the risen Lord, had locked themselves away behind closed doors out of fear. Can we blame them? After all, I suspect most of us came down from last week's Easter high pretty quickly. We went home, back to our families with complicated dynamics. We went back to work or to school with their conflicts and demands. 
We faced the reality of our lives, which for many includes illness, addiction, loneliness, stress, fear, unresolved grief. Within days, if not hours, our questions about whether Easter really has any impact at all were ringing louder in our ears than the wonderful music and the shouts of Christ is risen that we heard on Easter morning. Which begs the question, is that a sign that we don't believe? As we consider this story of how the disciples responded that first Easter, this story that ends with this statement of purpose about John's gospel, it might help us to unpack the original Greek word that gets translated into English as believe. In English, believe means something we accept intellectually. It's something we do with our heads, with our brains. For most of us, to believe something means we first need to understand it. So we assume this is what Thomas is getting at when he announces that the only way he will accept the resurrected Jesus is to see Jesus, wounds and all, for himself. But in Greek, this word that gets translated believe has a much more expansive meaning. As a noun, it is often translated as faith or trust. But to have faith or trust is not an intellectual exercise, because the nature of trust is that you do it without having all the evidence or information you might need. Trust is inherently risky. It requires, as we sometimes say, a leap of faith. Trust is also inherently relational. We put our trust in people, which is why trust comes not from the head, but from the heart. In March, at our regular monthly meeting of church leadership, we had a conversation about the 11 commandments of improv, as in improvisational theater, where there's no script and the actors are essentially creating a story as they go. Improv is, we might imagine, a terrifying and exhilarating experience. The 11 commandments for improv include, you are all supporting actors. There are no leads. Never enter a scene unless you are needed. Your prime responsibility is to support. Listen. And this. Trust. Trust your fellow actors to support you. Trust them to come through if you lay something heavy on them. Trust yourself. As the leaders of the church reflected on what we have to learn from these rules of improv, our conversation gradually became focused on trust. What is the nature of trust? How is it built? How is it lost? How do we know when trust exists? One elder described their understanding of trust as a three-dimensional object taking shape between and among people, constantly shifting and changing. Another elder lamented how difficult trust is to build and how easy it is 
to lose. What became clear in our conversation is the critical importance of trust between all the individuals who comprise a community. Trust is not only inherently relational, it is the very currency of our relationships. Trust binds us and holds us together. So if the word that we have always heard translated as believe in John's gospel actually has this more expansive meaning that includes trust, how might this change our understanding of today's story? How does it sound different to hear Jesus say to Thomas, do not be distrusting, but trusting? And are you trusting because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and who have yet come to trust. What is it like to hear the purpose of John's gospel as written so that you may come to trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through trusting, you may have life in his name? With trust in mind, we might notice that by the end of the day, on that first Easter, all of the disciples had succumbed to fear, which is the antidote to trust. They have locked themselves behind closed doors out of fear, fear that what happened to Jesus could happen to them. Fortunately, their fear is no obstacle for Jesus, nor are the locked and closed doors. He appears among them and by simply breathing, offers them the gift of the Holy Spirit and sends them out to be his agents of love and forgiveness in the world, which is to say to be in relationship with other people, relationships rooted in trust. And yet, one week later, do you notice where the disciples are? They are back in the house with the doors shut, still afraid, still isolated, still unable to trust anyone outside their small circle, and too afraid to believe or to trust what Jesus told them. Again, their fear and the closed doors are no obstacle for Jesus, and he comes to them again. Let's sit with that for a moment. Those of us who have come back here a week after Easter, among other things, this is a story that reminds us while Jesus is many things, mostly he is relentless in pursuit of us. We can lose our way, become mired in doubt, hole up in locked rooms, literal or figurative, out of fear, and every time he will come and find us. But be ready, because these visits often come with a surprising twist if we notice and pay attention and trust what our eyes are seeing. Here, this second visit is special in part because this time, Thomas, the one who longs to trust and believe, Thomas gets to see the risen Christ for himself. And this is not some glowing, beatific Lord, scrubbed clean of all evidence of his ordeal, but Jesus, 
his friend and his teacher standing in front of him, bearing the wounds of the crucifixion, the physical evidence of his suffering. For Thomas, it is seeing Jesus with those wounds that changes everything and enables him to trust. Bishop Michael Curry tells about a time his inner city Baltimore church participated in a study of the book of Genesis with local Muslims, Jews, and Christians. One Sunday, a woman named Eva came from a local synagogue to speak to Curry's congregation. She was a well-known Baltimore resident and a Holocaust survivor, and she began by telling her story. Curry recalls that as Eva spoke, he heard her words without really reacting to them. I think I was listening with only my head, he writes, and not with my heart. He admits he was preoccupied with the logistics of hosting the program, but also that he was reacting to what he saw before him, a well-dressed woman with fine jewelry. Although she described herself as a Holocaust survivor, to Curry, she did not look like someone the world had mistreated. Eva shared about her safe and secure childhood in Germany and of the moment her innocence was shattered by bigotry, hatred, racism, and evil when she and her family were forced from their home and into concentration camps. At one point, she raised her hand to make a point. Her sleeve slipped down her arm, and Curry saw a number tattooed on her arm. He writes, that's when I reacted viscerally. My whole body shuddered, and I was now entirely focused on Eva and her memories. Until then, I had been deceived by my own perception and distracted by things that mattered so much less. For Curry, seeing the flesh and blood evidence of Eva's wounds changes everything, and he is able to trust her and her story. In that moment, he writes of becoming acutely aware of what Hannah Arendt calls the banality of evil, the way otherwise good people can be swept up in systems and structures that do horrible things to other human beings. He recalls the wisdom of the Jewish philosopher Martin Buber, who distinguishes between two ways of relating to the world and the people around us. Buber calls these I-it and I-thou. Relating to other people as its turns them into objects instead of children of God. It erases their very humanity. But an I-thou relationship recognizes the other as an active subject, a human spirit whose truth can only be understood through relationship. Curry writes, you can't own a thou. You can't stereotype a thou. You can't ignore a thou. You can't throw a thou away. He concludes, the loving way to experience others is through a relationship which requires you to forget what you think you may already know and open yourself to new possibilities. 
When the risen Jesus comes to the disciples who are locked away out of fear, he shows himself to them, wounds and all, so that they can encounter him as a thou, so that they can trust him. When he breathes the Holy Spirit on them, it is not so they can understand intellectually who he is, but relationally. Jesus gives them and us the Spirit so that we can leave our locked rooms and be in relationships with others, so that we can build trust by sharing our stories, so that we can relate to others through our shared humanity and vulnerability and suffering. We do not show up in church, especially the week after Easter, simply because we believe. We show up because we are struggling to find our footing in a world full of fear, division, and grief. Like Thomas, we come looking for evidence so we might be able not just to believe with our heads, but to trust with our hearts. We come looking for a relationship with the one who created us and knows us completely, the one who shares our wounds. Thomas needed to know that the Jesus who emerged from the tomb was the same Jesus who had suffered on the cross, the same Jesus who shared bread and wine with them the day before he died. He needed this encounter not only to trust Jesus, to deepen his relationship with Jesus, but also to have the courage to leave that room and enter into relationships with others. Today, by the power of the Spirit, we too have been given. May we find the courage to go out, to share our stories, to admit our doubt, to comfort all who are suffering by sharing and showing our wounds, and in so doing, to build relationships rooted not just in belief, but in trust. Amen.